Welcome to today's episode of The Power of Reinvention. Here we talk with my guests about the dreams, the visions, and the passions that individuals have every day and dare to explore them. Whether it's business or personal, you're entitled to live the life that you want, and no matter what the circumstances, you have the power to create success, fulfill your dreams, and live with passion. That's what I'm talking about. So dare greatly, and happy reinventing, folks. Good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of The Power of Reinvention. I am so excited today. My guest is a wonderful gentleman by the name of Richard Green, who you are going to get to know in the next half hour. Hi, Richard. How are you doing? You got to you got to do more than just wave. You got to say hi out loud. <laughs> well, it's it's your it, it's your time to talk. I, I'm sure I'll have mine, but oh, I, yes. it's lo- it's lovely to be on with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm super excited for this conversation. Um, I, I, a very dear mutual friend of ours, Carolyn Johansson, actually reconnected us. And I know that Richard and I have met and been in many rooms over the years together, but really haven't had a chance to do a deep dive and chat more about his incredible work. So before I delve into these incredible questions, I'm just going to give our audience a little context and background on you, Richard. Uh, Richard's a renowned communication strategist, often hailed as a, quote, Master of Charisma by the Sunday Times of London. He gained prominence after assisting Tony Robbins in launching his career and subsequently shifted his focus to revolutionizing public speaking which many people have great fear over. And for over three decades, he's imparted his expertise through the coffee table book, Words That Shook the World. He's delivered keynote addresses on the seven secrets of public speaking and conducted workshops and private sessions for influential figures, including presidents, prime ministers, and Princess Diana, one of my favorites. His impressive career also spans working on 10 presidential prime ministerial campaigns in nine countries and serving as a senior judge on TLC's The Messengers. His TED Talk, The Seven Secrets of the Greatest Speakers in History, garnered over 3.3 million views. In 2023, Richard was invited by the BBC to also lead a global public speaking and communication course for the BBC Maestro Series. He's hosted the radio show Hollywood Clout for three years, which showcased celebrities, political, environmental, and philanthropic interests, making politics more accessible. I could go on and on and on. There is so much more to your background and all the incredible endeavors and accomplishments, but we're going to talk about those instead of me just reading them. So welcome, Richard. Thank you so much for being here today. Really thank appreciate you so, your time. Th- thank you so much. It's not, it's not that hard to accomplish a lot of things when you're old. <laughs> That's what I keep saying. <laughs> you know, you like, just... I know a lot of people and I know a lot of stuff because I've been around a long time. You know, there is a benefit to getting older. I think that... there's and, and, and I honestly, I wish we would recognize that we have such a youth oriented culture in the West. And, <clears throat> you know, the fact that Joe Biden is almost 81 gives him special perspective. It, you may mm-hmm. not agree with it, or Nancy Pelosi, she's 83, or Ruth Bader Ginsburg, or Jane Goodall. I mean, there are people whose wisdom comes from their additional decades on the planet. And so I'm 
I'm planning to keep going until I'm 100. My mother is 94. Wow. She's gonna she's gonna be doing a podcast in about two hours. She oh. has a she has a TED talk. You know, it's it's never too late to fulfill your purpose on the planet, and well, that's what we're here for. That that could not be a more appropriate uh, segue into a reinvention conversation, right? I mean, it is never too late. And as my book, Reinvent Your Life, What Are You Waiting For, is titled, this is what this, this conversation is about. How can people lean into the things that they love, the things that they don't know that they love, and explore what's possible? And I truly believe that we are entitled to live the lives that we want. And we go through life, we go through the motions. Some of us discover it early, some of us don't discover it till much later. But we owe it to ourselves to keep asking the question, what else is there? What more? What if? What if I could do this? I may be challenged by X, but what if I dared to dream about doing Y? And once we believe that we can, we might, in fact, be able to put that roadmap together. I call it the reinvention roadmap to get from point A to Z or A to Q or A to R and whatever that is, even if we have to come full circle and go back, but we explore it. So I want to start the conversation or the question that I first have for you is one of my favorites. Who was Little Richard? Who was Richard at 5, 12, 15? Did you have any idea what you wanted to do with your life and is how's that turned out for you? Wow. So before I get to that, I want to reinforce what you just said. Uh, when I coach presidents, CEOs, whoever, or, or, you know, the average person who hasn't reached that level yet, I ask them what they would do if they could do anything. And then we have a conversation about Dharma. And Dharma, for those who don't know, is this Eastern concept that we have a purpose, that we came into a physical incarnation to do some work in this 3D world. And when you ask the kind of open-ended question that you just said, you know, if you could do anything, it literally allows human beings to access in my opinion, the spiritual or soul part of who we really are. Mm. And in that part that is outside of the programming that is stuck in this closed loop called the human brain, you, you have access to a, a, an experience of inspiration that comes from a higher frequency, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And if, you keep, if I keep asking that question, no, no, seriously, don't put limitations on it. If you could do anything, what would yeah. you want to do? And they'll give me concrete, specific, very pragmatic answers. And then once I can get them past that, their whole face lights up. There's like this burst of energy from their heart and they go, well, if I really could, right? And then everything lights up and that energy that comes from them connecting with why they're here, their dharma, their very purpose on the planet is the energy that absolutely can allow them to transcend the limitations that are programmed into their brain. Yeah. So, so to your question... Little Ricky was just like, <laughs> like big Richard. So when I was <clears throat> zero to 13, I was Ricky. Yeah. Then when I, then when I was bar mitzvahed, 
I go, well, I'm, I'm grown up now. My name, I, I'm now Rick, right? <laughs> and then, so, so I have different names for different, you know, stages in my life. And then when I became a lawyer at the age of 24, I said, well, that's Rick is, is not formal enough. I'm now Richard. So those are those three stages. But I, I really think who I was as a little kid, and I've spoken about it, in fact, in a speech that I gave in Stockholm not that long ago, um, my life kind of changed and was given a purpose, a very strong direction and purpose. purpose. When I was six years old, I was <clears throat> my family was living in New Jersey at the time. I'm lying in my bed late at night, and I started asking myself what I think is a pretty profound question, not just for a six-year-old, but for everyone, and that is, okay, how did I get here, right? How did I get here? So it's like I'm thinking, you know, I'm six years old. And, you know, there's <laughs> my mom. And, I'm from my mom and dad, and then you, they're from grandma and grandpa and nanny and papa. You, and you mean keep... it wasn't the stork story? <laughs> I, I don't think I ever bought into that one. Okay. And and having having a child, I kind of know that that's not exactly how it happens now. Yes, that's good. Uh, so, <laughs> that's good to know. So I kept going back. And so grandma and grandpa and nanny and papa, who are the, their parents, their parents, their And then I had heard about Adam and Eve. I said, oh, oh, it all goes back to Adam and Eve. And I go, okay, cool. Um, so far, so good. Where did Adam, Adam and Eve come from? And so they came from God. Okay, we're still cool. And then I go, well, where did God come from? And I literally broke out into a cold sweat because I I kept running into the same loop. And it's I just started overheating. It's like, well, hold on. God came from from his parents. Well, where did his parents come from? God came from a thought. Where did the thought come from? God came from a grain of sand. Where did the grain of sand? And I was attacking this existential question wow. of that challenged our conventional idea of time and space and linear linear time and cause and effect. And I made a decision. I know this sounds really stupid, but I no. made a decision at the age of six that I was going to frickin' figure it out. Wow. And so I've dedicated most of my life to reading everything that I could on spirituality and metaphysics and consciousness and life after death and all of that. Um, starting fairly young, I, I, I signed up for transcendental meditation when I was 16. And I had experiences that kind of confirmed that there was this other dimension, right? Yeah. And, yep. and, and then I went to India and, you know, all of that. Yeah. And so that, that was the thing. I, it's just like, I want to figure this out. And to a large extent, I think I did. And I put some of it, you can see that book back there. It's, it's a little children's book where I've tried yes. to put everything that I understood about what God really is in a children's book, because if you can explain it to an eight-year-old, then you really understand it. That's one yeah. of the... And that was model. called what, E equals MC squared or something like that, right? Well, it was funny. Yeah. I I just became obsessed with E equals MC squared, the Einstein's formula, and with Albert Einstein. And I said, yeah. and E equals MC squared, there's something about that. And so literally, in my opinion, 
base, and I cover it in the book, E equals MC squared, the most famous scientific formula of all time, is literally, in my opinion, the most accurate um, scientific mathematical description of what God is. Amazing. Wow. That, that, that's sort of a topic all unto itself, which, as you said, you spent a good part of your life exploring. And it's, you know, wow, it's, it's fascinating, the underpinning of it all in our lives. And I just came from a three-day retreat and workshop and spent a lot of time with some extraordinary people, sort of delving into the outliers of that work. And because of the way I grew up, and my mother was incredibly spiritual. She was teaching yoga when I was three years old. I've been exposed to some pretty extraordinary things that do take us out of our immediate framework, the possibilities, the mindset, you know, beyond the brain. Um, and I think we're really fortunate when, whether or not we apply it to our life, but when we have the openness and the perspective and the understanding that there is a much bigger universe out there, I think it does open up to all of us that, that are able to do that, to the possibility of how to create the life that we want. Um, you know, I fortunately have because I had that perspective at a very early age. There were no barriers. I lived around the world. My parents wanted to move all the time. I had to make a lot of new friends and get new to get used <clears throat> to new cultures and new environments regularly. And it was very special. So you having had that perspective, how did that then inform as you got older and you had to do this thing called school where teachers had limited beliefs, of course, and my, my kids, I never forget the debate with my kids and their teachers that was going on at a point where teachers were trying to impart that kind of wisdom on them beyond the limitations, but to sort of skip ahead only in the name of time and nothing else, but how did you use that to your advantage to have that insight, to have that curiosity, which is one of the greatest gifts of all time, to have the openness and curiosity to inform how you went about what was next for you as you were growing older? Yeah. And even Einstein says that curiosity is the most important human trait. And so and it didn't really help me in many ways because I was constantly arguing with my father, who was a very meat and potatoes, black and white kind of guy until he got much older, just before his death. But it caused me to challenge everything. Because again, at this core, I realized that there was some missing information here, that we didn't really know everything about who we are, why we're here and what the universe is. And so my whole focus became on redefining things. So I was driven to redefine religion and literally the definition of God. And that's in that book, which is available as an ebook on Amazon, by the way. And then when I worked with Tony Robbins, I realized that there's no reason to be afraid of public speaking. And the only, because here I am hanging out with a guy that was going on to become one of the great public speakers of all time. And I realized that he was great and loved it because he redefined what it was for him. And mm -hmm. for him, it was about four words. It's all about them. 
his public speaking had nothing to do with him and his ego and how he looked or sounded. It was how much can I give to the audience? And that's the essence of public speaking. It's not about you or how you look. It's what kind of contribution can you make to the audience? And then I've been redefining politics because, as people may have noticed, that they're a little screwed up here and there. You think? And, <laughs> and, and I said, no, no, there's a whole completely different way to engage in civics, to engage in politics, to choose leaders. And so, and then I did, I wrote an article with Jane Goodall that redefined environmental economics. So what gives me joy is, is in a way reinventing things, but I, I, say redefining things, because if you can define things in an accurate way, you have an opportunity to be even more successful and to change and contribute to the world. Mm, I love that. And that's so that's where I think we're very aligned. And the reinvention happens when you have those questions of yourself, who am I? Why am I here? And what is this? And then if, if the why I'm here, which it always is, if you're spiritually honest, it's to grow yourself and to make the maximum contribution that you, as a unique, unrepeatable being, there will never be another you in the history of consciousness or existence. Yeah. What is it that I am supposed to contribute with this unique combination of whatever I have? So in the work that you've done with the folks that you have personally engaged with in these in these. Um, programs that you do, what is the, what is the process? Because I find so often I talk about it in my book and the exercises that are in there and these conversations that I've had thousands of since I launched the book three years ago, how do people find their passion or their interest or what that contribution is going to be in the here and now? And I think for many people, they don't see that their agendas could be aligned. The search for purpose and contribution to humanity and how do I make a living, typically for most people, are not aligned. I've been blessed in my life to create a business that has enabled me to do that. And it's the reason I wrote the book, because everybody would say to me, you're so lucky, look at your life, you get what you get to do what you want, when you want, how you want. I call my business my playground. And I contribute to huge companies, events, projects, clients. And now because of the reinvention topic, individuals as well, your work also enables people to figure out how to align those those strategies or philosophies and who they are. Where where do you sort of see the challenge people have in trying to align their values and perhaps their passions or find <clears throat> what it is that they want to do? Because that's when we tend to have conversations about it, right? With people. Yeah, one of my favorite <clears throat> sayings is do what you love and you never work a day in your life. Right. Um, and then people, well, that's awesome. But, you know, I love to go fishing or I love to go hiking or <clears throat> whatever. And that is not going to make me money. Um, I'm going to say something that might be a little controversial. <clears throat> right. You know, we live in such a materialistic society okay. where money and the amount of income that you have and how big a house you have and 
all of that <clears throat> is the is the litmus test. That's the criterion for which you are to acknowledge and value yourself and 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 others. I've never been that interested in money. You know, that's never been the scorecard for me. Yeah. You know, certainly. <clears throat> so there's like, how do I make enough money so that I can obviously eat and take care of my family and all of that? No question about that. But I think if you're if your real goal is to be a billionaire, for example, or a multi multimillionaire, just have a conversation with yourself. Why? I mean, I've worked with so many wealthy people. Yeah. I mean, I, pro- I probably work with 10 to 12 literal billionaires. Yeah. They are not happier than people who do not have a lot of money. Correct. That, you know that for an absolute oh, yes. fact. Yes. And, and so the question is, what is the currency that will make your life fulfilled? So I think there's a difference between happiness and fulfillment. So <clears throat> I just got a, a new car, a Tesla. Love it. Yep. Super, super happy for weeks and weeks. I'm still happy when I when I get into it. But that's not the same as being fulfilled. If I write an article or if I give a speech and I see people and they come up to me later. I had lunch with a client I worked with 22 years ago yesterday who saw my BBC course and said, I'm loving your course. I'm in L.A. Let's have lunch. And he said how much my working with him 22, three years ago, literally yeah. changed his entire career. Right. That that's worth more than anything. That's so deeply fulfilling. Because so how I think, do you, how do you help that guy who says, I love to fish and I got to keep a roof over my head. And, you know, I mean, we could count on two hands, the people, you know, in, in any given room, I, I think it's, you know, like 10% or more people are not satisfied in their jobs or some part of their life, probably a lot more than that. Um, what, what, what is that direction? Uh, you know, and I get asked this a lot, I'm curious to kind of know how you work with people when they say, well, I'm trying to figure out what my passion is. I'm trying to figure out how to turn my passion into a business, which is not the case. You don't always have to do that. You can have your nine to five job and have a million other passion projects outside the realm of it. You'll probably love coming to work a lot more on a Monday morning if you have joy and happiness in all the other parts of your life. But sometimes people want to try to align the two. They want to try to figure out how to convert that passion for something into a way to monetize or, you know, create their financial stability, if not greater, greater financial success. <clears throat> so let's flip it around. When, when I'm working with CEOs or heads of HR, I tell them <clears throat> that they have to align the job that they have open where they're trying to hire someone with the passion, the authentic passion and excitement of the person who is going to go into that job. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I will often go to my clients after working with some of the employees in their company and say, you know what? I don't think that this man or woman is well suited for what he or she is doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He may, he, you may need to have a conversation with him or her about how passionate, how excited 
he or she is to get in their car, or take the subway, whatever, to work every morning. That's the metric. Because if you're not excited about doing what you're doing, you need to either find a different way to do it in that same job, find a different job in that same company, or pray that you get fired or quit. Mm-hmm. And then follow, because if you're trapped in fear, oh, my God, you know, i got to pay my mortgage and I've got a good thing, then you're never going to be fulfilled. Exactly. It is the people, if you look at all the successful people, they've, they've either been fired or they've quit or they've been, you know, jobless or homeless for a while because their dedication, the integrity that they had in their relationship to their own spirituality, their own soul their own profound meaningfulness that they want in their life is I, I'm just going to do. So I did that. I quit after working with Tony Robbins at, at, at seven years being a lawyer. I was so excited about what I saw in that world of motivational speaking and being, you know, almost every day with one of the great motivational speakers on the planet, if not in his, history, Um, I said, you know what? It's no longer fulfilling for me to go Mm -hmm. back to be my law in in my law career. So I quit my law practice, traveled around the world for a while, came back. Most people don't know this. And because I had been certified by Tony in neuro linguistic programming, I went and I literally so I was doing some coaching for a nice hourly fee. But that wasn't enough because I had a new child at that point. And to help supplement my income and to keep busy, I literally, being a lawyer, took a job as a behavioral educational behavioral education counselor at Nutrisystems, wow. making seven dollars an hour, helping people deal with their weight challenges. Interesting. And it's like, okay, that seems like a great experience that I could have that I could have that would help me and I could use even the seven dollars. So I was willing to reinvent. Oh yeah. my God, you've got that word behind you. Hey, what I a was, what a great word. <laughs> and, and and I thank Tony for that all the time. I said, You freed me from yeah. what I thought I should do to be able to create a career. And yes, it took a while to ramp up, right? To to be able to do that, which I think I was designed to do, which makes me so deeply happy. I mean, I would give seminars and do coaching on public speaking 24 hours a day for the rest of my life. You, you know, know what, I, what I love, Richard, is that you spoke to your aha moment, that moment where you said, I cannot do this anymore. And there are so many people that have that gnawing feeling and they sweep it under the rug and they just go, well, I don't have a choice. I got a new kid. I got to support a family. I've got parents to look after. I've got all these responsibilities and I don't come first. They come first. And the whole theory of put your oxygen mask on first is critical to all those people that count on you. Because as you said so astutely, you know, do something that you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And that sounds good in theory, but if one takes the time to create that in their lives and it may not happen in five minutes, it may take 10 years, but you will wake up one day going, you know what? I created this. I made it happen. This is where I wanted to be. And I have finally arrived. But if you don't try, you will never get there. 
And if we understand, let's go back to the fishing thing, which is weird because I'm a ve- I'm a vegetarian and I I don't even approve of fishing. It just seems cruel to me. Right, right. But but if fishing is your passion and you wake up every morning thinking about fishing, then maybe your dharma, maybe what you can do that no one else on the planet can do, is create a certain kind of bait or a certain kind of fishing rod or a fishing technique or something. Right? In the, if, in the if, subject matter. Yeah, and be the expert in doing something around fishing that no one could ever have thought of. Because my belief is if the universe keeps talking to you and you keep getting a buzz and excitement about a particular thing, yeah. that it, those are the breadcrumbs that God or the universe is laying out in front of you saying, follow this. Yeah. Maybe it's maybe not for the rest of your life, but follow it now. Yeah. And, and honestly, I talk about this all the time. I love that you said that you've got to learn how to listen to yourself. You've got to pay attention to those moments. You've got to pay those buzzes, those breadcrumbs. Do not ignore the value of them. You could be listening to a song on the radio or you drive by a sign, walk driving down the street and the color just appeals to you. There are things that light us up. And we all need to sort of be just a little more aware of our surroundings and the impact that things have on us, because those are the breadcrumbs of what lights us up, what creates joy for us, what gives us a little moment of, oh, that was cool, or I love that, or that song takes me back to that time in my life. Well, what was it about that time in your life that made you so happy that this brings that up for? How do I create more of that in my life? What is around me today, 10, 20, 50 years later, that I can have more of that in my life? So listening to ourselves is so critical because that's when, again, we open up our minds to what else is possible. And it sounds like you are a student and and a master of that. And you're teaching so many people. Let's talk a little bit about what you're doing. The BBC brought you in to do this series. Tell us a little bit about what that what that is and some of the work you're doing now. And, you know, you are having such an incredible impact on so many people's lives through the work you're doing. So share a little bit more about that. Well, apparently the BBC um, they, you know, masterclass, right? The BBC wanted to get into that and creating like high level, highly produced educational programs like masterclass. So they've, they created BBC Maestro Mm -hmm. and they were doing a lot of different things, cooking and whatever. And they go, you know, we need to do more of a business oriented thing. Let's do public speaking. And, they saw my TED talk, you know, the the seven secrets of the greatest speakers in history, and they contact me and they say, would you be open to teaching public speaking to the world? We love your approach. It's very user friendly and we like how you present it. And I said, sure. And they flew me to London and <clears throat> I did four days of shooting, um, four camera shoots, really beautiful production. And there's 24 lessons plus an exclusive interview with Tony Robbins. We flew to Florida to hang out at his house and talk about the art and science and philosophy about public speaking and being a great public speaker. And I'm very proud of it. And because the bottom line 
And what I realized as I reinvented and redefined public speaking is that you are not a born public. I mean, all the myths are wrong, clearly wrong. There is not such a thing as a born public speaker. Oh, you're, not, you're I, a natural that. <laughs> no. <laughs> right. No. Because what because I've been teaching public speaking for like 37 years in 53 countries. And some of the best speakers I've ever been able to work with are people who were deathly afraid of it. They stuttered. They were socially awkward. They didn't want to be in front of the room. But once I got them to do what I get people to do, to tap into their authentic passion yeah. about whatever it is that they're talking about, yeah. magic, Matt, Kathy, math, magic happens. Because when you tap into that authentic passion, the passion is coming, as we've been talking about, for whether you know your career path or whatever, is coming from outside. You're tapping into a an infinite spiritual energy force. And once you can align with that, when you're talking in front of an audience and then focus on those four words I mentioned before, it's all about them. And you can share your passion. You could be the worst least confident, most terrified public speaker in the world, you're going to be unbelievably charismatic. And I yeah. swear to you that I do these makeover things in my classes and I take people, you know, who are terrible. And after just a few minutes of work, they almost always get a standing ovation and yeah. it changes their life. And that's what I love to do. Yeah. That's what the course is about. And I'm happy to also do a companion live Zoom course for any company that purchases a certain number of BBC Maestro courses. So Amazing. please have people contact me again. Yeah. It's I get more I get more of a buzz yeah. <laughs> off yeah. of doing that because I'm aligning yeah. with my purpose. Yes. Yes. A thousand percent you are and teaching others to do that is I, I get to do it all the time. I used to do it for 30 years in my day-to-day -day agency business and with the advent of my book and the podcast and the advisory work that I'm doing with people similar to what you're talking about, seeing other people get lit up and, you know, whether it's the, the path of your life that you're tuning into your authentic self, Right or whether it's that moment when you need to be a speaker, you need to be on a stage, but speaking isn't just being on a stage. I just actually have done a coaching series with a client who is the CEO of a company. He's shy, he's quiet, he doesn't have a big voice and big personality. He's great at what he does. He's building an incredible company, but his jam is not standing in front of the entire company and pontificating about the vision and what to do and how to build it, or he's being interviewed by media and doesn't have that confidence. And like you, training him to make sure he really understands his passion, his beliefs, what his company and his brand is all about. <clears throat> you know, you don't get caught up in the public speaking of it all when you truly speak from the heart. And when you really speak from a place of authentic passion, interest, you know, it's what it's what runs you. And when you can tap into that and be able to then take it to the extent that you're talking about, 
it's a pretty spectacular thing. And I think it applies in so many places of our lives as well. So the training you're doing with these people around speaking must spill over into so many other parts of their lives, if I'm not mistaken, right? Well, part of what we talk about in my courses and in the BBC course is the overwhelming impact of nonverbal communication. And once you understand the nonverbal communication and how powerful it is as for you as a communicator and also how powerful it can be to read other people's nonverbal communication, it can change your life and change your relationships. There's a statistic that is often talked about, very controversial. I talk a lot about it in my course, saying that only 7% of the impact that you have on other human beings one-on-one or when you're speaking in public comes from the actual words that you speak. 38% comes from your voice tone and 55% comes from your body language. And once you realize that it's not what they're saying, it's how they're saying it. And if those things are aligned, right? So they're very quickly, you can become this expert body language reader. And so I went to see Taylor Swift um, when she was in L.A. at SoFi Stadium. (laughs) And one of of the reasons I went is I'd say, okay, this woman, this young woman is having such a massive impact. And her fans are the most raving fans, the most enthusiastic, emotionally connected fans. How is she doing it? And I went and I'm taking notes sitting on the floor at SoFi and she, she does everything that I teach and does it better than anyone I've ever seen. And that's because she incorporates the nonverbals, excuse me, speaking of non, speaking of (laughs) nonverbals. Anyway, you get it. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. I mean, it really is. I saw it. I know. And and she lights up a room and it's her energy and she puts all of those skills into what she does that you talk about. So such an interesting perspective to to look at someone like her as that kind of model of these characteristics that are so important. Do you do you want to know one of the things she does yeah. that that is so incredible? When the audience is giving her love and feedback and applause, most people disconnect from the audience. They okay, great, thank you. Now let's go on to the next song. What she did repeatedly, as you saw, is she just stood there. She opens up her entire energetic field, her body and her heart, and she takes it in. And she just, you could see the euphoria of her having energetic lovemaking. Harnessing the power. (laughs) But she's not doing it strategically. She's just, she has surrendered and let go of her separateness in a very spiritual way. And she's joined the audience and just, and you could see in her face, she's going into some very high consciousness level. And that then creates a feedback loop where the audience gets lifted to a frequency that they've never perhaps experienced and they yeah. crave on the deepest, profound, most profound emotional and spiritual levels. Yeah. She is a true master. Yeah, that's amazing. 
So how, how does one harness that in their everyday lives? How does one take that sense of being um, in, in different ways and forms and say, okay, I want to live my life on that level. Um, I don't want to be afraid of the fear or the risk of change or the fear of change and fear of failure, all those things, all those negative thoughts that come up for people. And just in a, you know, what's your take on those barriers, those challenges that people come up as they're trying to create this better life for themselves in any part of it? Well, that's a huge question. I know it is a big one. And in fact, I was having a conversation with my mom about that yesterday. Oh. Uh, She's she's incredible. She's a guru. But I think the key thing is to answer these three questions, especially the first one that I mentioned. Who am I? Why am I here? And what is this? And I think if you study that a little bit, you realize what my dear, dear friend, Tony Robbins, who is, people say, oh, is he really like, is he really amazing? What, you know, is he, what, what, he's one of the most extraordinary human beings I've ever met. Mm-hmm. One of the smartest, one of the most big hearted. I just love him with every cell on my body. One of the things he says, <clears throat> which kind of is the summary of everything I've just been talking about, is you have a choice in terms of how to deal with what happens to you. You can either be part of the mindset that life happens to you or at you. And, oh, darn, I just lost my job. Or, oh, darn, I lost that sale. Or, oh, damn, something, whatever happened. And you can say life sucks, you know, and you go in this negativity spiral and then you think of yourself as a victim. Right. And when you're in a victim mode, even for a millisecond, Kathy, you're in a frequency that is incapable of hearing or feeling or communicating with your true, authentic desires, passions, mission. Right. Right. And so what Tony says is so true. And again, it's a very simple mantra. Life happens for you, not to you. And so what I do is if something happens, I go, huh, okay, what am I, what am I supposed to get from that? How can I take this and reinvent myself or redefine this situation Mm -hmm. or approach it in a different way? And so it often means taking a moment, going into meditation, taking a long shower, taking a walk, disconnecting so that you can go vertical instead of being plugged in and and trapped and imprisoned in the horizontal and it's okay so what if that if that was for me no matter what happened right and so many people i guarantee who've been on your show have had huge breakthroughs and reinvented their lives after something that seemed like it's the worst thing in the world yep and you don't have to have worse things in the world happen, but it's that no, moment. But, but those, those <clears throat> are the other aha moments where life happens to you. I always say with COVID, like, you know, for people, it was the invitation or they were forced to reinvent some part of their life. It depends on who you were, how you chose to look at it and what you chose to then do with that moment. 
And and just I I love driving stick shift cars. It's hard to find those nowadays. But you the only way to get from first gear to second gear is to push push in the clutch. Right. (laughs) I love that. And then you can shift. So pushing in the clutch is taking that moment to embrace what my friend Eckhart Tolle talks about, the power of now. That is the place where you can then reinvent from. While you're not having a momentum that's taking you in the wrong direction, go back to center, go back to that sense of being in the now, and then then the answers are there. They're not in the past. They're not in the future. They're in the present. If you open up because the universe is constantly laying out those breadcrumbs to tell you where you have chosen to go by coming in and incarnating into this life. That's amazing. And that's like such a drop mic moment right there. <laughs> Just and I, I so appreciate your perspective, um, the work that you're doing, the, the gifts that you're sharing in this perspective and enhancing some of the work I've been doing and mirroring some of the things that I do and that we speak about. It's, it's really extraordinary, and I think we're both fortunate that we're in a place where we're able to help other people see that, and we're able to help people understand the tools that may help them see that perspective, not being victimized, seeing the possibility in things, understanding what that present moment is as far as it being a gift and an opportunity to sort of seek what comes from that. And I think that's really quite special when we're able to open people's eyes up to that, um, be able to sort of share that way of thinking. I think I grew up with parents who sort of really enabled me to have that perspective. And I took it and ran with it my whole life. Um, and, but not everybody does. And so to be at a place where we're able to gift that to someone to open their eyes and their minds to what's possible is a pretty special thing. And, you know, we're living in the real practical world. We have real bills to pay like everybody else, but it's how we choose to really take these things on. And you're doing amazing, amazing things with that. Yeah. Just one last thing on that. I, I, I love the work of Dolores Cannon. Do you know who that is? I don't Well, she often talks about how life here on planet Earth is challenging and that we have chosen to come to this challenging incarnation. And the analogy is if you want to build up your muscles and you go to the gym, you could go to the gym seven days a week, but if you're only lifting three pound weights, you're never going to get stronger. Yeah. And again, that goes back to the, <clears throat> did this challenging thing happen to, to me? Poor me, I'm such a victim. Or did it happen for me? And that can make such a huge shift and, shift and to realize <clears throat> that you don't go stronger unless you can take those challenges you've chosen and, and realize that you've chosen those in some way and then use them to make you stronger. So that, so that what? So that you can more completely fulfill the ultimate reasons why you came to this planet. So I believe in reincarnation. And I actually wrote a story in the Huffington Post about my father entitled, How My Father Proved 
that he was still very much alive, dot, 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 one week after his death. Wow. I'm going to read so if that. You, <laughs> if you want to <laughs> check that out. But the thing is, I think we're here for two reasons. Yeah. We're here to learn and to grow and to evolve our soul. And sometimes challenges allow us to do that in ways that are very profound. And part of that is to find what it is that you are meant to be doing. Right. There's the challenge of that and keep opening and keep listening to that. And then the second thing that we're here for, I believe, is to contribute our uniqueness, our unrepeatable existential uniqueness. There will never, ever be anyone like you in the history of existence. Forget the multiverse existence, whatever that means. And I talk about that extensively in my BBC course. I have a very long chapter on the imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And that stops people so much. It's, it's, a, it's an epidemic. Yep. And <clears throat> once you realize that even if you're the most junior person in a very big corporation, a law firm or a whatever, and you realize that no one, not even the senior partner, not even the billionaire entrepreneur founder of that company has the unique background and experience and education and DNA, all of those things or soul, all those things combining, they do not have that. And so your perspective, if you're being honest and authentic and wanting to contribute, your perspective is priceless because it's unique. So there's never a reason to think that you're an imposter if you focus on that. If you compare yourself to other people on the more external criteria, you're always going to be less than because there's always somebody who's going to be better than you in one thing or another. But the combination of who you are and what you have and your mission and your soul is completely unique. So you're never an imposter. And you, you know. have a you have a absolute mandate from the universe to contribute every single thing that you possibly can with that uniqueness. That's beautiful and so true. And I just love that you went there because I spent a lot of time pe- telling people that imposter syndrome is a gift. It's a gift when you aspire to be something that you currently are not, but want to be. When you see yourself as that, you attempt to become that. If you can see her, you can be her. It's all of that. If you sense that that is what you aspire to be and do, you have to step into those shoes, but you've got to lay those shoes out so you can go step into them. And if you don't lay them out, you're not going to be able to step into them. So the whole notion, like you just said, dispelling this negativity around imposter syndrome is the key. It's knowing that, wow, if I feel like I'm being an imposter, good for you. Go for it. Go make it happen. Aspire to be and do and have all that you envision, you're not going to have it yet because you would not be there yet. So I think in so many ways, um, you know, that that's such a powerful conversation and important message. Can I, can I just share one real life example of that? Of course. So imagine being five foot eight 
and being Tony Robbins' attorney and someone who was helping him manage his career at the very beginning of his career. This was back in 1984 and 85. Tony is six foot seven. And as you know, I mean, his hands are bigger than my whole body. And so there were, I saw so many people, including myself, who hung out around Tony trying to be Tony, right? Trying yeah. to do exactly what he did because it was so powerful. That is the formula for being absolutely riddled with imposter syndrome. Yeah. Because you're comparing yourself to somebody who is completely different than you. Yeah. And so I struggled with that for a little bit. And I said, you know what? I can't do what he does. You know, I'm a completely different kind of human. Tony didn't even go to college. I went to college. I went to law school. So I have a different education set. You know, I don't have that kind of energy. I'm I have a lot of energy, but no one has that kind of energy, right? On and on and on to all these differences. So I made a decision. I can't be successful as a Tony Robbins light because that's just disingenuous. It's BS. But Tony Robbins can't do what I do. Tony Robbins doesn't have the perspectives that I have, having gone through my education, having been a lawyer, having had different kinds of parents, having grown up in a different time in different places and all of that. My obligation is to be the best Richard Green that I can possibly be because no one, no one can come close to that. Now, whether that's whether that's valuable or not. That depends on other factors, but it's impossible to have the imposter syndrome if you're fully and completely being yourself. I love that. And you know what? We all have something to contribute to the world. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. You wouldn't have come here if you didn't. Yeah. Wow. You know, we could go on forever and I love this and we will. I think you and I have a lot more to talk about offline and thankfully we live in the same city so that it will make it a lot easier to do. Um, I love the work that you're doing, Richard, and I'm so grateful to Carolyn for reconnecting us. Um, I want to make sure that people know if they want to get the companion <clears throat> course, the BBC Maestro series, um, um, and have access to how to reach you and connect with some of these wonderful tools and things that you're creating in your books and all of that. Um, Richard Green with an E at the end of Green. Um, you're on LinkedIn and you have an email address perhaps that you want to share or <clears throat> yeah, best I'm, way to reach <clears throat> you? I encourage everybody <clears throat> who's interested at all, um, contact me even before you buy the BBC course. I can give you a discount and it'll all be, it'll all be part of the companion course. Just my email is Richard at, and then the name of my book, words that shook the world.com Richard at words that shook the world.com. Send me an email and I, I would love to help you. Amazing. I will also put it in the show notes. So if you're driving or somewhere where you're not looking at your phone right now, just know that that information will be in the show notes. So you can check it later. Always reach out to me and I'll be happy to make sure you track him down. Um, Richard, I'm so grateful for your time. I'm so grateful to hear your insights, your knowledge, your just all that you're doing. It's so exciting. And I think there's going to be some stuff for you and I to do together as well because of some things I'm working on. So we'll definitely reconnect. Let's have lunch in the next couple of weeks. I would love that. 
And to all those tuning in, thank you for being here today. Thank you for sharing your time. I know it's valuable. Hopefully you have walked away with some more inspiration and motivation. By all means, feel free to go to the reinventionexchange.com for hundreds of blogs and interviews and stories and podcasts and content. And of course, to get a copy of my book, Reinvent Your Life. What are you waiting for? Yeah, what are you waiting for? You know? get out there and do it. Happy reinventing everybody and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you, Richard. Thank you so much, Kathy. Thanks for listening to the power of reinvention. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate and review the show. Wouldn't mind a five-star review. It would be greatly appreciated. Also, be sure to visit thereinventionexchange.com to share your reinvention stories, suggest a guest, join the newsletter mailing list, get access to my book, which is called Reinvent Your Life, What Are You Waiting For?, and discover fantastic bonus content with my blogs and listen in to the Reinvention Virtual Chat series. Don't forget to join me next week for another episode. Please share with a friend and thank you for listening. Happy reinventing.